Good morning. Our second reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 11 to 15. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 79 years ago, next Thursday, Winston Churchill gave a speech back at his old school, Harrow, looking back on the hardships that Britain had already faced during the war and the hardships still to come. And in it, he said this, never give in. Never give in, never, 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 in nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in. And he said that, of course, because he knew that people would be tempted to give up. And the same is true of Christians when it comes to sharing the gospel with others, because we invite people to Christian events and they say no. Uh, we drop something into Christian conversation, we drop something Christian into conversation and they don't like it. We bring them to week one of Christianity Explored and they don't come back. We say, wouldn't it be good to think about what you believe sometime? And they say, I'll think about it later. And it's tempting just to give up. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote the verse which kicked off this series on 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. He said, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. In other words, we don't give up. And Paul only wrote that because he knew that he and his readers would be tempted to. And 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 is full of help in facing that temptation. And this week's passage has got two big motivations for telling people about Jesus. So before we look at them, let me lead us in prayer. Father, we're not only tempted to give up sharing the gospel, we confess that we sometimes or even often have given up. So we ask your forgiveness and we pray for your help through your word now to keep going in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible on you, would you find 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10? That's where we left off this series before our autumn special events. And it's where Paul says this. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. And that's the first of two big motivations here to keep trying to tell people about Jesus. It's that everyone is going to meet Jesus as judge. And that's why the next thing Paul says in verse 11 is, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. In other words, because we know that everyone is going to meet Jesus as judge, we now try to persuade them that the gospel is true and that they need it. So what did Paul mean by the fear of the Lord? When he looked forward to Judgment Day, what did he fear? Well, what he did not fear was Jesus saying, actually, I don't accept you after all. You haven't done enough 
You haven't done enough for me to let you into my kingdom. He did not fear that because the reason why Jesus accepts us is not that we've been good enough. We never can be. It's that he's paid for the forgiveness of all the ways that we've not been good enough through his death on the cross. So because Paul was trusting in Jesus' death, he didn't fear the Lord's rejection of him. What he was concerned about was the Lord's evaluation of him. There's a churchyard uh, near where I grew up with a gravestone that reads like this. In memory of Captain James Harvey, died 23rd of April 1786, tragically shot and killed by the accidental discharge of his pistol while in the hands of his valet, in other words, his personal servant. And the Bible text underneath is, well done, good and faithful servant, which I assume was meant to apply to Captain James Harvey, but it sounds unfortunately like praise for his valet. But those words, as you probably know, come from one of Jesus' parables, and they're what he will say to us at the end of our lives if we trusted in him and tried to serve him, not least in telling others about him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Contrast that with the words of a Christian who wrote this in a letter at the end of his life. Although I trust I am forgiven and accepted by the Lord, I fear that I have done little of what I could have done to serve him and that his evaluation of me will be saved soul, wasted life. And that's what Paul feared. Not the Lord's rejection, because the cross makes us secure from that, but the Lord's evaluation, the thought that Jesus might not be able to say to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Now, it's really important to say that faithful service will look different for each one of us. So, for example, the Lord is not expecting us all to be the Apostle Paul because he hasn't gifted us all as pioneer evangelists and church planters like he gifted Paul. So some of us are really good at conversational evangelism, whereas others of us rely heavily on inviting people to come and hear others speak. Uh, some of us have lots of opportunities to tell others about Jesus, whereas others of us have very few, but maybe pray a lot for others' opportunities. And whoever we are, we are called to be faithful in doing what we can do, not what we can't, and not what others can. So that's what Paul was concerned about for himself and for other believers, but he was also deeply concerned for those who were not believers and at what would happen to them when they met Jesus as judge. That's the other reason he said, verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. In other words, we try to persuade people that the gospel message is true and that they, like us, need forgiveness because we know that judgment is a future reality. And that keeps you trying to share the gospel even when people look like they don't need it. So lots of people around us seem very nice, don't they? Very moral, happy, successful, even enviable. And uh, we're tempted to wonder, you know, do they really need the gospel? Are they so badly off without it? And the answer is verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And they will be unthinkably badly off without the gospel then, as they stand unforgiven and unreconciled to Jesus. 
And that also helps you uh, keep trying to share the gospel, even when people say you, they're not the religious type, or as someone told me this week, it's not my thing. Because that's like jumping off a cliff while saying, I, I'm not the gravitational type, gravity is not my thing, and expecting that you are just going to float gently to earth, which you are not. Because whether or not you believe in it, gravity is a reality that you can't escape, and the same is true of judgment. Because if it is actual fact that Jesus lived here on this earth and really died on the cross and really rose from the dead and so really is alive right now in heaven, then it is only a matter of time before you and I will meet him as judge. That is a reality that we cannot escape. So that's the first big motivation to keep trying to tell others about Jesus. Now, Paul had critics accusing him of all sorts of selfish motivation. So uh, some of them said that he happily changed his message to make himself more popular. Uh, they even said he was after people's money, like an unscrupulous televangelist. To which Paul replied, verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, in other words, knowing people need to be ready to meet Jesus as judge, we persuade others which was actually a, a selfless thing to do, the very opposite of the motives he was accused of and certainly wasn't going to make him popular or rich. Read on. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience, he says to the Corinthians. In other words, God can see my motives. That's the most important thing, even if my evangelism is misunderstood. But I hope you can read my motives off the way I've done my evangelism as well. Verse 12, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. So verse 12 is the first mention of Paul's critics, those who need answering. And they criticised his whole mentality as well as his motives. Because in verse 13, Paul had to say, for if we are beside ourselves, as some people obviously thought, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, as he hoped most people would think, it is for you. So his critics were obviously saying, you know, he's beside himself. He's crazy. We're not told exactly why they said that, but I suspect it was probably because Paul got very passionate and took the gospel and other people's spiritual welfare dead seriously. And when people said, he's a bit crazy, uh, he's a bit fanatical, Paul replied, if you think we're beside ourselves, it's for God. In other words, I'm unashamed about being passionate because it's for God and people's spiritual welfare. And I don't know, maybe you've been told that you know, you're just taking this Christianity business far too seriously. And the implications, you, can't you loosen up, be a bit less passionate, just keep it to yourself? And Paul would say, if you think we're beside ourselves, it's for God. Because we can't take God and people's spiritual welfare anything less than dead seriously. But on the other hand, Paul says, uh, if we are in our right mind, literally reasonable, rational, it is for you. So even though he was passionate 
about the gospel. He didn't want to come across like some of the street preachers, preachers you hear, whose who's bellowing probably puts most people off. Instead, Paul presented the gospel rationally and carefully, calmly, so that people would hear the reasons for believing that it's true and for believing that they needed it. So that's the first big motivation, to keep trying to tell others about Jesus. Everyone's going to meet him as judge. And the other one is this, everyone can be forgiven through his death, anyone and everyone. Look on to verse 14. For the love of Christ controls or motivates us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. So one big motivation for Paul was looking forward to the day of judgment and the other big motivation was looking back to Good Friday, to the death of Jesus on the cross. And that's what verse 14 is about. For the love of Christ controls or motivates us because we have concluded this, that one died for all and therefore all have died. What does that mean? Well, imagine I took you and a whole party out to a restaurant. We had a great meal together. And at the end, there's the, the, there's the usual vine to chip in on the bell, the, the usual game of snap with credit and debit cards. But I say, no, 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 I'm getting this. And I ask for the bill and I hand over my card and I pay for you all. And in the eyes of the restaurant, that means you've all paid. One has paid for all and therefore, in the eyes of the restaurant, all have paid. And when Jesus died for us on the cross, it was something like that. Because each of us has uh, a spiritual bill to pay, a list of countless ways in which we have failed to treat God as king, which he ought to hold against us at the end of our lives by rejecting us. Because you can't be part of a kingdom if you won't accept the king. But God, in his love, wanted to spare us that judgment of rejection and instead offer us forgiveness back into relationship with himself. But he couldn't do that by just tearing up the bill and saying, you know, let's forget it. Let, let's say it doesn't matter. Because God, in his justice, could never say that. Just think about it. How could he possibly say uh, six million through the gas chambers doesn't matter? Or bringing it down to our level? All the people you and I have failed to love and managed to hurt doesn't matter. He can't say that. The only way he could do it was to give his son to become a man, to take our place and on the cross to pay the bill for us so that justice was done, but not on us. Which means end of verse 14, we can now say one has died for all and therefore all have died. In other words, one has paid the spiritual bill for all in his death, and therefore, in God's eyes, all have died, all have paid. And so the gospel says to all of us, the spiritual bill for all your wrongdoing, past and future, has been paid so that you can be forgiven back into relationship with God, whoever you are, whatever you've done. But it's important to say that is not automatic. 
The fact that Jesus died for all on Good Friday doesn't mean that all are automatically forgiven today. Each of us has to accept that individually, which means asking the risen Lord Jesus to forgive us and to take his rightful place in our lives as king. Because the whole point of forgiveness from Jesus is not just to ease my conscience, but to mend my relationship with him so that I come back into living for him as king as I should have been all along. And that's why verse 15 says what it says. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And if you're not sure where you stand with Jesus right now and and what you need to do to accept him, why not visit our website whyjesus.org? to find out more. And it's not too late to join our new Christianity Explored course, which is tailor-made for you if you're trying to find out more. And details of that are also on that website. So that's the other big motivation to keep trying to tell others about Jesus. It's that anyone and everyone can be forgiven through his death. Just listen to verses 14 and 15 again. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So as we think about family and friends and colleagues and course mates and teammates and housemates and neighbours, not to mention the stranger on the bus or on the metro, we need to say to ourselves, Jesus died for them. Each one of them is part of the all in those verses. And we need to say to ourselves that none of them is too bad to be forgiven because on the cross, Jesus paid for everything on the spiritual bill and that none of them is too good to need forgiving, however nice they are, however moral they are. Because if one had to die for all, then clearly we are all in a lot more need of forgiveness than we like to think. So that's how Paul kept himself motivated in telling people about Jesus. He looked forward to Judgment Day and he said to himself, everyone is going to meet Jesus as judge. And so they need to be forgiven back into relationship with him now before they get there. And then he looked back to Good Friday, to Jesus' death on the cross, And he said to himself, and anyone and everyone can be forgiven because of what happened there. And if we take that on board as we try to tell us about Jesus, then as Churchill said, we will never give up. Let's pray. Father, please strengthen in us the motivations that we have seen in the Apostle Paul. Please strengthen our conviction that everyone will meet Jesus as judge, and also that everyone can be and needs to be forgiven through his death. Please increase our passion for you to be honoured, and for our fellow sinners to come back to you. And please give us wisdom to communicate the gospel to them in the ways that they can best hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.